Coming Back is a listener-supported podcast. To support the show and receive weekly grief guidance from me, monthly group grief support calls, and the first look at upcoming books, courses, and projects all related to grief, become a patron now at patreon.com slash shelbyforsythia. Just $3 a month gets you access to everything there is to see on Patreon, plus connection to a beautiful group of grief growers just like you. Unlock grief support now for $3 a month and support this show at patreon.com slash shelbyforsythia. Thank you so much for listening. Hi there, and welcome to Coming Back, a podcast about coming back to life after death, divorce, diagnosis, and more. Today, I'm speaking with Kelly Lynn, whose viral TED Talk, When Someone You Love Dies, There Is No Such Thing As Moving On, has connected grievers around the world to humor and love. We'll dive deep into the sudden death of her husband, Don, the reality that loss forces us to change our lives, and how one woman's off-the-mark sentiment inspired Kelly to create a global rainbow-spotting movement. I'm Shelby Forsythia, an intuitive grief guide and author who speaks, writes, and teaches powerful truths on grief and loss. My mom's death in 2013 set me on the path to becoming a lifelong student of grief, and I use what I learned to create a world where grief is welcomed, normalized, and even embraced. Because even through grief, we are growing. Let's get started. Kelly Lynn is an aspiring actor, comedian, writer, and author. Her debut book, My Husband is Not a Rainbow, The Brutally Awful, Hilarious Truth About Life, Love, Grief, and Loss, was released on Amazon in June 2018. Kelly's TED Talk, When Someone You Love Dies, There Is No Such Thing as Moving On, has gone viral and has been watched in various death-related courses and universities as a tool for changing the conversations we have about grief and loss. Kelly became widowed suddenly in July 2011 at age 39, when her 46-year-old healthy husband died from a massive heart attack. Since then, it has been her life's purpose to help other widowed people find the light inside the darkness, and find new reasons to feel joyful about life again. Kelly has been giving her comedic presentation at the Soaring Spirits annual Camp Widow events since 2013, and she currently lives in her home state of Massachusetts with the two kitties that she and her late husband adopted. Well, Grief Growers, thank you so much for joining us for another episode here on Coming Back. I am delighted to be virtually sitting across from Kelly Lynn, whose TEDx talk I saw, man, had to have been at least two years ago if not three. Uh, And I don't remember how I found it, but once I did, I knew she had to come on and speak to us here on Coming Back. Uh, Kelly, welcome to the show. And if you could start us off with your loss story. Thank you so much. And thank you uh, for the welcome. Um, So my loss story started in 2011 on July 13th. And I literally woke up to a brand new life that I didn't ask for. I um I woke up around uh 6:45 in the morning to my phone ringing over and over and over again and my husband had gone to work about an hour before that um he was a paramedic and he was perfectly healthy as far as I knew 46 years old we were 4 years and 9 months into our very happy marriage just starting our life together 
And I got a phone call from the hospital that was right down the street. And they said, we have your husband. You need to get here right away. I didn't know what the hell they were talking about because he had just left for work. Why would he be in the hospital? They said, you just need to get here. So they said, can you get here? I said, I guess so. Um, I got a cab somehow. I don't really remember how I did that (laughs) or the details of how that happened. But I got myself there and they told me that they found him collapsed on the floor um, at his job and he died um, of a massive heart attack. And there was absolutely no warnings, no symptoms of any kind. Um, You know, to say it was the biggest shock of my life is the biggest understatement I think I could ever say. Um, And since then, my life has been completely changed, altered, and um, just been a long road to becoming uh, whatever I'm going to turn out to be, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah, I really see you in that notion of I'm still kind of figuring out what I am in the aftermath of this because that's really familiar in loss. I think um, movies and and stories and even our friends and family have this illusion of, okay, it's been X number of years or X amount of time. And so now you should know who you are and know what you want and have your dreams all lined up and redefined. And what goal are you aiming for next? So this idea of it happened, you know, over eight years ago now, and I'm still in the process of becoming who I am in the aftermath of that. Yeah. And I think that honestly, whether or not you've been through a loss like this, um, I think we're all trying to always figure out and rediscover again and again, who we are and what we want out of life. And I think those things change as we evolve and as things happen in our life and as we get older and, you know, a loss like this certainly puts a huge alter on the plans you had and the plans you now have to recreate. But I think in anyone's life, everybody is always recreating themselves. That's kind of what life is about. And I didn't know if I knew that before the death of my husband. And now it's kind of all I think about (laughs) in a way. I literally just wrote down uh, the difference between becoming a new person in the aftermath of loss and becoming a new person just all the time in general is the difference between recreation by force and recreation by choice. So I think most of our lives yeah. we have this illusion that, you know, I'm not really happy with this job, so I'm going to set out and look for a different one. Or, you know, I'm not really satisfied in this relationship, so I'm going to break up with the person and then figure out what I want next. And all of these, these small griefs and losses create this illusion of like, oh, we're choosing what happens to us. And then in your case, when sudden unexpected lightning bolt loss happens, it's like, wow, I have to reinvent myself and I really didn't want to. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. It's, it is by force. You don't want, you don't want any of it. You don't want that new life that's just being like attacked onto you and thrown at you uh, out of nowhere. And you have two choices when, when it comes down to it, you can either, you know, deal with the new life that's been thrown at you that you don't want at first and maybe for a long time, or you can just kind of cower in the corner and give up on everything. And I don't know, I think even early on when I wanted to give up on everything and I didn't want 
to necessarily go on and live. And, you know, I was extremely sad and in a ton of pain. Even then, I kind of knew somewhere in my heart that I wasn't going to give up. I wasn't going to, you know, just throw my life away. I didn't know how I would get through it, but I knew that somewhere I wanted to. I wonder if you can speak more on that to that, this feeling of, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I just know that I'm going to get through this because I think so many grieving people have this suspended in their brains. They're like looking for, can you just give me the list, like the top five tips of how to survive your husband suddenly collapsing at work, which is very (laughs) specific. Um, Yes. But there seems to be this, this restless search for how do I, um, and not a lot of falling back on this. I hate to use the word faith because that has a religious connotation, but this faith that somehow I will make it through it, the difference between how and that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, I'm kind of glad you did bring up the word faith because I'm not a person of faith. Um, so I think in some ways it makes it a little harder if you're not, if you don't have that belief to fall back on. I mean, sometimes I'm jealous of people that are very religious or very, um, you know, that, that, that they believe God has a plan and those types of things. Cause I don't believe that. So it's really, really hard for me sometimes to come up with reasons, um, to go on. And I think the, the biggest way to answer how the, how do you do it is, um, it, it might sound cliche, but it's absolutely true. Like one millisecond at a time, one thought at a time, one breath at a time, just kind of keep doing the very next thing that feels less horrible <laughs> than, or least horrible than the other thing. You know, if, if you can do the, keep doing the next thing, that's not, that's going to cause you the least amount of pain because in the beginning, everything is painful. You know, after this kind of loss, everything is painful. Everything you do is painful. So, and that's just the truth of it. So I think if you can keep doing the thing that is the least amount of pain um, and whether that means, you know, taking a day off from work that day or not hanging out with family that day, because that's going to hurt a little bit less than hanging out with family and being reminded of the loss or, Um, whether it means going out that night because you want to escape it for a few hours or whatever it is on that particular day. I think that's kind of how I started was just, okay, let me do the next thing. Just keep doing the next thing. Um, And as time goes by, you know, you're, you're getting through it very, very slowly. You're crawling through it, but it's happening. Um, The other thing I would say is that, As you go through the pain of this kind of a loss, um, you really start to realize that every time you have that pain, it feels like it's going to kill you because it's so painful, but it doesn't. It doesn't kill you. And so every time it doesn't kill you, it's almost like a realization of like, oh, I got through it again. I got through that horrific pain again. So maybe that means I can get through it the next time it happens. Yeah. And I think that in and of itself is a version of faith. 
is like, if I can build up enough evidence that I'm surviving the next hour or that I survived yesterday, or, oh my God, I went a whole week and I'm still yeah. alive. It's like you build up this bank of evidence or even faith in or trust in the self again as a grieving right. person. Like, Holy crap, I can actually survive this. Yeah, yeah, it is. And it's like you kind of realize it each time because it really does feel the most horrible feeling in the world is that pain because you feel like, oh my God, how do people do this? How do people get through this level of pain? Because it hurts so bad and you just miss them so much and you miss everything about that life and you just don't know how to go forward in the beginning and for a while. And if you can get through those few hours of that pain and then you're still alive, that's kind of a little, a little victory, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's just this proof. I, I don't know. There's almost like a stubbornness in it. Like I'm still. Right. It. Yeah. Yeah. I can do this and yeah, I'll show them. I don't know who them is, but <laughs> <laughs> whoever they are, I'll show them. I love that though. It's almost like staying alive out of anger or out of spite. Yeah. <laughs> I have I have heard of grievers who do that. They're like, I'm gonna stay alive because this could quite possibly kill me. And that's the reason they're staying alive. It's like this wants to kill me and I'm not gonna let it. And you know what? Whatever the reason is, I think that's that's your reason. Like whatever the reason is, whether it's because you have a, a religious faith or whether it's because you're angry and you want to stay alive out of anger. Or whether it's because, you know, you, um, what it became for me after a while is my husband died in a split second. It was completely sudden, shocked the life out of me. And he was so young and he had so much life to live still. And, you know, we had just started our life together. We didn't have a house yet. We didn't have kids yet. We didn't have any of the dreams that we wanted together yet. And so I felt like he was robbed so much more than I was. Like I was robbed of him and that life, but at least I got to live. He was robbed of life and that still sticks with me. And that became my reason to live was so that I could live because he can't, because he doesn't get that opportunity. So you know, I'll be damned if I'm not going to make the most out of this life. That became my reason. Yeah. And this is a new concept to me, this idea of I'm going to rage or seek justice through my life on behalf of the person who died. Yeah. Ever heard anybody phrase it that way? You're like, I'm angry that he didn't get to see all this. So I'm going to yeah. stay just because he did not get that opportunity. And it feels a little bit different than I'm going to live in memory of him. Like that has right. a different ring to it than, yeah, that, that sensation of, oh my gosh, he had this life taken. Yes. Yeah. And that's still how it feels to me. And people have told me, you know, that that's, I don't know, people have, some people have questioned that, like, you know, that I shouldn't feel that way, that his life was taken and that, you know, um, that it was his time and all that stuff. And I just don't believe that. I don't believe in it being someone's time when they're that young. I just can't justify that. So in my mind, it'll always be that he was robbed of life and he was 
taken too soon. And, you know, anybody that dies young or, you know, it's, it's kind of like there's only one peaceful death in my mind. And that's, you know, being 95 years old, surrounded by your family and, you know, you die in your sleep. That's that's a peaceful death. You've lived a full life. And even that's sad because death is just sad. But I think when you're, you know, when you're, when you die in the middle of life, when you die, when you're still young and still have so much to do and, you know, um, that's just tragic to me. And um, so it is, it is a, almost an anger or like a, a very fierce type of feeling. Like I really want to live in color and in full blast because my husband didn't get that honor and that opportunity. I want to know now, as you're talking about dreams and hopes for the future and the things that you guys had planned to do together, if and how those dreams or visuals have changed or been forced to change um, since the day that he died. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, So I guess there's dreams that we had together and then there's dreams that I've always had um, for my life on my own, um, which included, you know, I, I went to college for acting and theater and writing, and I was a performing arts major. I moved to New York city when I was 18 and lived there for 26 years after that, my whole adult life. And in the hopes of, you know, um, doing acting, writing, comedy, any, any type of that stuff um, was always my dream. Being on Saturday Night Live, doing something like that was always my dream. And then um, when I met Don, he became part of that dream and he wanted that dream for me. Um, And he was a paramedic. So he figured I can do that anywhere. He lived in Florida. When we met, we met on the internet in a music chat room. And so after a few years of us talking, he moved to the New York area with me and he supported me in every way you can possibly support a person. Um, but especially emotionally, just my support system. He believed in me. He, he, you know, wanted me to have these dreams. And so, um, losing him was obviously horrific in all the ways that losing a partner is, but it was also, horrific in the sense that it did change every single dream that I had and forced it to alter. Um, because I tried to live in New York for a while after he died, it was way too expensive. I had to leave. Um, after five years or so, I moved back in with my parents in Massachusetts, which is my home state. And I'm currently living there now. So um, I'm in, I'm a real estate agent now. I never saw that coming. <laughs> so, and I, I like it. I mean, it's, it's a great, it's a great job. Um, I still do comedy. I still write, you know, um, I still do the things that I used to do, but that dream of, you know, being an aspiring actress and being an aspiring comedian and that struggle, I can't, I can't do that anymore. I can't afford to do that anymore. It's not realistic. I had to leave that that life behind um, because I don't have the same support system that I had with my husband. And 
Um, I don't know how that would have turned out. There's always that question of like, you know, would we have stayed there our whole life? Would we have moved back to more of a suburban lifestyle? Would we have had a family? I, I know we wanted one. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of unfinished questions when someone dies and you just are left with this feeling of, you know, how would that life have looked, I guess. Um, and then you're trying to create a new one, a new life for yourself. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know, it's a complicated question, but there's definitely been a lot of, a lot of things that I wanted that I no longer can do. But at the same time, I'm rebuilding a new life. And that life includes a lot of those things just in a different way. Yeah, it's a, it's really, I'm getting this visual of like doors closing. It's like when somebody we love dies, there's all of these different options for our futures that we no longer have access to. It's like they're sealed off, like they're welded shut and they cease to become options for our lives. And so when we lose somebody that we love, all of those hopes, dreams, and expectations die along with them. And I'm so interested that that you brought up these dreams of you being an aspiring actress and continuing to live in New York, because those were like your own dreams that changed when yeah. you died, as opposed to, I think a lot of people talk about the joint dreams of like buying the house, having the kids, you know, seeing them graduate and taking them to soccer practice and all this other stuff. Um, and I'm, I'm just really grateful that you went in that direction because loss we we're not only losing our joint dreams that we created with the person that were died that died we're losing our own hopes dreams and expectations for ourselves as well because things just aren't energetically logistically emotionally plausible anymore financially yes <laughs> oh my gosh a thousand percent yeah and, well and when you said he was the person that really supported you in that i'm like oh sometimes the people that die are our biggest cheerleaders. And when we don't have somebody cheering for us, what happens then to our dreams? Um, Yes. And he was, he was, um, he was my biggest cheerleader, my number one fan, my support system, my best friend, all of that. And, um, and, you know, he was the type of person that would say, and did say many times, you know what, go on that audition. I'm going to work two jobs or I'm going to work overtime today because I really think you should go to this audition you might get this job you might get this tv gig or whatever it was and when he died you know I no longer had that that obviously went away and so I had to pay all the bills and I had to pay everything and you know everything doubled because I was suddenly in our apartment alone and I was suddenly paying the car bills and all the bills that he paid half of and it was just like overnight everything became so hard financially in addition to all of the grief and and just the loss of your partner your life partner your best friend um financially it was such a struggle because it was sudden so we didn't have life insurance we didn't have anything we had nothing we lived paycheck to paycheck you know i was uh, an adjunct professor and he was uh, an emt so there wasn't a ton of money there and we were living in you know, 10 minutes outside of New York City, the most expensive city on the planet. So <laughs> so it's hard to keep that up. I, I lasted almost five years after his death and struggled like crazy, directed a bunch of theater shows, picked up, you know, tons of part-time jobs, 
kept my teaching job. And in the end, it just became, I had to make a decision that was a very hard decision for me. Am I going to leave New York City? Am I going to leave these this life behind and essentially start over? Because I, I just can't do it anymore. It was just so tiring. And I wasn't doing any of the things that I was doing when I was married because I didn't have that support system anymore. So I had to make the decision to go in a different direction and try something else. Um, and then I, I did. I moved back and moved in with my parents. I was writing my book at the time. I, I wrote a book about the loss of my husband, and it's been out for about a year and a half now on Amazon. And um, I that was part of my decision was I'm going to go home. I'm going to stay with my parents and I'm going to finish this book because I, I was not able to finish it in New York because I was so busy working. I was working like two, three jobs all the time just to, just to stay alive and to pay my rent. And I was, I had to get a roommate, you know, I had to sell our car. I had to sacrifice so many things and it just felt like all I was doing was sacrificing pieces of myself. And I just wanted to, stop doing that and find a different path and somehow make it work. And the only way to do that was I needed to leave. I want to thank you for bringing light to that subject because I think a lot of society forgets how expensive grief is. Um, The more and more I hear about it, the more I consider myself very fortunate because I was kind of at that tipping point between teenager and adulthood when my mom died. And so I knew for the most part that my father or our family as a whole would be absorbing most of like the funeral expenses and the memorial and like all these other things and cremation and things like that. But people forget, you know, there's these gradual losses that happen too of, oh my God, I have to take on the power bill. Oh my God, I have to take on his half of the rent. Oh my God, I have to take on the car payment and, you know, gas bill, like everything all all of a sudden piled on. Um, and, And that's not something that's really discussed because people see the word grief or they know you're a grieving person and they think it's just a heart issue. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. So thank you absolutely for bringing light to that. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about your TEDx talk, because I think the biggest takeaway from that, the TEDx talk grief growers, for those of you who are listening uh, and want to look it up on YouTube is called when someone you love dies, there's no such thing as moving on, which in itself is just, yes, a true statement. Um, and, (laughs) And something we talk about here on coming back is banishing this language of getting over, moving on, going around, yep. like, like the, the stories of grief is done and it's over, like that doesn't belong in this space. So when I saw the headline of your YouTube video, I was like, oh my God, I have to watch this. Um, but the biggest takeaway that you spoke about, spoiler alert here for people listening, is that love grows love. And you talk about how people who've been impacted by grief, when they grieve, especially if there was love involved, which I think for a lot of us in grief, there is, it's something that multiplies after loss. It doesn't go away because the person that we love died. It kind of gets diffused or passed on to, or um, not re-gifted, but like inherited 
to other people. Like it's almost like the love continues for the person who died. It changes form, but then all the, the in-person love that you had for them almost like finds a new host and like moves into other places that can be expressed in the world. And I just loved that idea. So I kind of wonder how you came on that revelation yourself of love grows love, but then also how it shows up in practice in your life. First of all, I love the fact that you use the word regifted. I think that's such a great <laughs> term because <laughs> because usually regifted is like such a tacky thing, you know, like I'm regifting this gift for Christmas or whatever, but <laughs> I love it used in this context because it is regifted. It's like taking the love for someone and and giving it forward to someone else because of that love that you experienced with that person you are now able to love someone else and love better because of what you've been through so um i'll tell you how i came about that that concept of love grows love um or the first time it sort of entered into my head it was early on in my grief um i'm not sure when maybe in the six to eight month period, somewhere in there. And I had read this article and I don't remember where I read it. It was probably in like the New Yorker or one of those places um, that I read it online. And it was just this little, this little piece. And it was a a true story. And it was a, a woman who was an older woman and she was a widow. She was talking about her husband being on his deathbed because he was very ill and he was, they were both older and they had been married for years and years and years and years and years. So very different from my story, Um, but I still related to it. And she said that when he was on his deathbed, she asked him, you know, she started crying and she asked him just very sincerely you know, what am I supposed to do when you're gone? What am I supposed to do without you? What do I do with the love? How do I survive? And he told her, take all the love that you have for me and spread it around. That's what he said to her. And I thought that was the most beautiful thing. And also just great advice, just really great advice take the love that we have and spread it around and that really stuck with me like in so many ways and so even when I was you know feeling hopeless and like I didn't want to continue that sort of stuck in my head as a thought and as a concept and then what started to happen was I started to feel that happening like I started to do things that were in honor of my husband, um, such as, you know, creating a pay it forward day on July 13th, the day he died. He was a very giving person. So I took that love and that giving kindness that he had, and I shared it forward by creating pay it forward for Don Shepard day, asking people to do something um, random, a random act of kindness, and then telling me about it, writing to me about it on my Facebook page. And then I would write up a big epic blog of kindness every July 13th. And I still do this. I do this every July 13th. 
and it turned into hundreds and hundreds of stories. I mean, 100 to 200 people would take part in this project that I was doing, and half of them didn't even know Dawn. And then I started getting involved in the widowed community. I started meeting more widowed people and more people, you know, that were young like me when this happened to them. And I started experiencing their stories and getting inspired by what they've done with their lives. And it was almost like I lost my husband. I lost this great piece of my life. And then because I reached out and shared his love and shared our story forward, every time I did that, my life would multiply. My world would multiply in love. And so I was gaining this family and this community of people, other people that were in pain. And together, we were becoming this big, giant network of love. And it really is true that if you reach out and help other people, it helps to heal you. It helps to heal them. And you grow your own world. You make it bigger. This is such a great example of carrying on someone that we love with us in the day to day without having to make it monstrous or like I didn't create a 5013C nonprofit or like do a 5k or host a scholarship or all these other things. And they're all well and good. Um, I wrote in my book, uh, Permission to Grieve, there's a chapter called Permission to Do, and it's all about taking grief out into the world in the form of action, especially visible action. And there's this enormous pressure to mark your loss with something huge and tremendous. And I think that's a pressure that a lot of grieving people feel. But for you, it's like one day out of the year, we're all going to do something really kind for somebody that we don't know in honor of my husband who died. And like, that's enough. You know, um, it's not, it doesn't have to be grand because it's already grand. Like we don't have to make it any bigger than it is because it's already so big. And I love this idea of, yeah, diffusing that love out into the rest of the world. I want to bring up the title of your book also. It makes me laugh every time I see it. Uh, And then look (laughs) at the cover too. The whole thing makes me laugh. It's called My Husband is Not a Rainbow. And I I want to know where the idea for the title came from. I think I have a hunch it was from a poorly led (laughs) grief support group, but it may have not been. But there's um, there's this snideness of, uh, quit telling me what happened to him. Um, And let me decide for myself. So tell us more about your book and where the title came from and what uh, readers can expect to find if they read it. Okay. um, So the the full title is My Husband is Not a Rainbow, The Brutally Awful, Hilarious Truth About Life, Love, Grief, and Loss. So it's a long title and it's a long book (laughs) Um, because grief is long. Grief is a long never-ending tsunami. I call it a tsunami. I hate the word journey. Um, When it comes to grief, journey is an 80s band that wasn't very good, has nothing to do with grief. (laughs) And I like the word tsunami because a tsunami is awful. And a tsunami comes in and attacks you out of nowhere. And that's exactly how it felt when it happened. So my tsunami started on July 13th, 2011. And that is when the book starts. It starts on the day that he died. And it takes you through everything um, from that day forward. Um, And it is different than other grief books in the sense that 
it was written in real time. So it's not a look back at, you know, the process or a look back at, at the death of this person and how I survived and how I keep surviving. But it's more of you actually get to, as the reader, you get to experience the evolution of a person in the aftermath of the death of the person they love. And um, you get to see it happening before your eyes or read it happening before your eyes. Um, at the same time, it's also a love story because I go back and forth uh, between our love story and how we met, um, everything that happened in our relationship, the highlights of it. And then it goes back and forth into my story in the aftermath of his death. So it's very brutal, brutally honest, and also funny, very funny, because I am a comedian at heart. I have a dark sense of humor. And that sense of humor got darker when he died. So a lot of humor is in the book. It's written with humor. Um, so it's not extremely depressing. It goes back and forth with every emotion you can think of. And the title came from a comment that someone made. So you're half right. <laughs> it was not a support group, but it was a person, um, a very nice, sweet, wonderful person that was a coworker of my husband's um, at a volunteer job that he had. He worked at a local PetSmart store on his days off uh, from being paramedic. And he loved animals. And so couple days a week, he would go to this PetSmart and he would take part in the adoption of dogs and cats in their adoption program. And he would, you know, pretty much work there as a volunteer helping with the adoption center. And that's where he had his heart attack um, in one of the aisles of the store while he was working early morning at the PetSmart. And so um, one of his coworkers there was helping me with our two kitty cats after he died. She was helping me to feed them. And, you know, she gave me some food for them and stuff. And she came over one day about a week after his funeral. And she told me this story. She said, Kelly, I have to tell you, a miracle happened. I was on my way to Don's funeral. And I was in Hackensack, New Jersey. And my husband hated New Jersey. He moved there because of me, you know, because he fell in love with me. He wanted to start a life with me. And so he moved from Florida to New Jersey. And even in our wedding vows, he said, who the hell moves to New Jersey, you know, on purpose? <laughs> because <laughs> he hated it so much. But he moved there for me. So, <laughs> so that was a big part of, uh, of the rest of the story that I'm about to tell. So she said um, she saw this miracle on the way to his funeral, which was in New Jersey, where we lived. and. She said, I was driving my car and it started pouring. It started raining so hard. And all of a sudden it, it, you know, the sky cleared up and the sun came out and I was crying because, you know, Dawn was gone forever and I couldn't believe it. And I was so sad. And all of a sudden, Kelly, I looked up and I saw this miracle in the sky and it was a rainbow. It was a rainbow in the sky. And and it was your husband. Your husband was a rainbow, Kelly. He was a rainbow. And she just kept going on and on and on about how he was a rainbow and trying to convince me that he was a rainbow. And I, my reaction to that was not anger. I was trying really hard not to laugh in her face 
while she was telling me that my husband was a rainbow because my husband, first of all, would never be a rainbow. If he was to come back in any form, it would be like a kick-ass guitar solo and an Aerosmith song. Yeah. Something like that, you know, not a rainbow. He would make fun of the rainbow thing. He would just mock the, mock the hell out of that. Um, and especially not in New Jersey. He would never, ever be a rainbow in New Jersey because he hated New Jersey. So he would not give New Jersey the time of day and give, give New Jersey his beauty of being the rainbow. So that's where the title came from. It was more of the idea of like, you know, I do believe in signs actually. And I have felt my husband's presence and his energy around me, especially when I give back and when I do things in honor of him. And when I reach out to other widowed people and when I, help someone else on their tsunami of grief and all of that. I feel him close to me, closest to me when I do those things. But I feel like, you know, the idea of him being a rainbow was just so hilarious to me and so off the mark. Um, you know, what about all those other people that saw that rainbow? You know, they didn't know Don. I think a rainbow is a rainbow. It happens because it rains and then the sun comes out. It's mother nature. So it struck me as very funny and it became a part of my stand-up comedy routine telling that story and it struck other people as very funny when I told the story and I started getting all of these um all of these people mostly in the widowed community but people who have who have been through loss uh posting on my Facebook page when they would see rainbows like they would take pictures of a rainbow that they saw and they would post it on my Facebook page just saying, Oh, I saw Dawn in Nebraska today. And it was hilarious. <laughs> it turned into this revolution of rainbows because he's not a rainbow. So that became a one act play that I wrote. My husband's not a rainbow. It became um, a presentation that I give at uh, Soaring Spirits Camp Widow every year. My husband's not a rainbow. That's what my presentation is called. And it became the title of my book. So it's become this revolution sort of by accident. And it's really been amazing how it, how it keeps going and going and going, the joke of him not being a rainbow. That makes me smile so much because it's, it's like a case of mistaken identity <laughs> where somebody really gets a lot out of yes. a message. And then somebody else is like, wow, you really don't know them the way that I know them. And uh, I mean, for what it's worth, let this right. poor woman have her rainbow. But you're like, Ain't no way, no how is he a rainbow in New Jersey. <laughs> um, and I just think that's so funny. Cause like, right. I, I know that almost everybody listening probably has these grief cues of their own. Um, I have my, whenever I see right. three birds, especially with, I'm, when I'm with a specific person in my life, it means like my mom is nearby, but most people are like, uh, yeah, you live in a major city. There's like pigeons everywhere. So it doesn't, it doesn't make logical <laughs> sense to people, but for me, it means something. And so now I love that it's turned into this right, of sign of, you know, he's with us in the Himalayas yes. and he's with us in Seattle. And now all of a sudden this, this not rainbow yes, has turned he's into, everywhere. Yeah. And and what's so funny about it is that because he's not a rainbow, he he is a rainbow now because every time I see a rainbow, I think of him because of this, because of this non-rainbow thing. 
and because everyone else, you know, mocking it and posting it on my page and forever when I see rainbows, it's Dawn. It's like, oh, there's Dawn, there's Dawn. You know, it's like a constant joke that keeps him alive in my life and all these strangers' lives that don't even know him who, who see rainbows now and say, oh, hi, Dawn. Hi, Dawn. I mean, it's incredible. I want to get back to something really quickly before we wrap up for the day. And that's before you and I officially got on the mic for our conversation. We were talking about literally right before our time together, you left a widow's group, a grief group. And I I wonder if you can say something on continuing to attend something like a widow's group, even though as the rest of the world would say, time has passed, it's time to move on, time to get over, like all the crap that people throw at us. Because it's my hope that I continue to do grief work many years into the future. And one of my biggest fears though, is that people are like, haven't you gotten over this thing yet? Um, And I'm like, it's kind of just, for me, it's integrated, but I'm hoping that you can continue to normalize that for us. Yeah, I, it would be my pleasure to normalize that because um, I feel I feel the same way of of how you just said it. It is a fear that other people won't understand and that other people will think, you know, this and that about you're not over it yet or, you know, why are you still hanging around with those other widowed people or why are you, you know, why are you going to that camp widow thing? Um which is this amazing retreat, by the way, um, three day, uh, I guess I call it a retreat. It's a, it's a bunch of workshops and grief related presentations and workshops uh, that an amazing organization, Soaring Spirits International, puts on every year for widowed men and women. And I have become very involved with them. I'm a presenter at, at the Camp Widows uh, three times a year since 2013. And the reason that I stay involved and become as involved as I possibly can um, is a lot of what I was saying earlier about it expands my world. I mean, I can take this loss and I can cower in a corner and stay in pain, or I can use the pain to make something out of it. I can create something from the pain or I can let the pain kill me. And in my mind and in my heart, the best way to create something from the pain is to take the love and share it forward and take the pain and share it forward. Because when you share your pain forward, somebody else who's in pain suddenly feels less alone and feeling less alone is pretty much the best gift you can get when you're sitting there feeling like you're the only one going through this, whatever it is. I'm the only one going through this. Nobody can possibly understand me. I'm totally alone. What the heck am I going to do now? How do I get through the next day? And if that person reads something that I wrote or sees something that I said or attends my presentation or whatever it is, here's my words and they know that they're not alone and that somebody else understands this that might get them through to the next day. And then the next day they might be able to do something else they didn't think they could do. And that's what other widowed people did for me when I was in that dark place. So not only will I continue to go to support groups and attend things like this with other widowed people and people who are going through loss, but 
you know, I lead them now. I, I actually lead a local support group for Soaring Spirits um, in Massachusetts. We meet two times a month in uh, different restaurants and coffee shops. And we have lunch and we hang out and we talk and it's a social support group. And it is so meaningful to me to be able to do that and to give that back because in my heart, these people gave me my life back. They made me want to live again and they gave me a platform and a purpose to figure out what my life was going to be. Because when all those old dreams died or transformed, I had to come up with a new plan and um, they helped me do that. You know, the, the community of widowed people helped me do that. And my new plan is to help them back. And, you know, that's part of my new plan. And I really, really get a lot of joy out of doing that. So I think that if you can take your grief and your pain and create some kind of purpose and some kind of joy out of it, I think that that's a pretty wonderful way to expand your world and expand other people's world and change the world in your little way. Yeah. And that brings me to something you said in your TED talk too, of when you change your mind, you change the world. And I think this mindset shift of including grief and embracing it and, and kind of making it a a piece of your identity now, instead of pushing it away, which was that initial response at the beginning, it really changes how you see not only yourself, but others who are grieving too. And that's really powerful because almost everybody in the world is grieving. It is really powerful. And it, and it really is about a conversation change. You know, it's, it's, it's word usage and how we talk about grief and how we talk about loss and how we talk about death and love. And, you know, not to say, uh, not to tell people to move on, but, you know, we carry it with us. We carry it forward we move forward and we carry it with us. We move with, I like to say we move with because they're with me. You know, my husband is with me in spirit and in soul and in energy and in everything going forward. He's a piece of that life that I'm living. And I actually have a very loving and wonderful relationship now And I've been with my boyfriend two and a half years now. And I truly believe that I would not be in a place to have love again if I didn't experience what I experienced with my husband. Um, You know, if I, if I, I, I can't, I can't ever choose one over the other, I guess is what I'm saying. It's all connected to me. It's all, you know, I, I don't feel like I should have to, move on from that in order to have this. I I think it's all connected and it's because I had that, that I'm able to have this, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. Again, nothing is excluded. It's all, it's all included. It's like you, you don't have to choose between one or the other. It's like, no, we just put a, what do you call it? We put one of those um, sleeves in the middle of the dining room table and now it seats 12. Yes. <laughs> um, I don't remember what you call that. Somebody's going to email me and tell me there's a different word for that. And I know there is, but yeah, right, it's like when you right. put one of those things in the middle of the dining room table and you're like, Oh, we're from seating four to seating 12. Um, and, right, and, that's exactly. and you're doing grief in a way that feels true and authentic and not blocking. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. experience of it. Yeah, it's the only way for me, you know, and I, and I know everyone's different, but for me, it's the only way that I know how to live authentically is to, I don't want to erase my past. I don't want to erase what happened to me and the person I loved and will always love, um, you know, my, the person that died. I don't want to erase that. Why should I? Why should I have to? I don't, I don't feel that's, see, to me, that's unhealthy. You know, all these people that talk about moving on and, you know, to me, it's unhealthy to think that you should have to delete that from your life or that Mm -hmm. you should be ashamed of it in some way. Why on earth should I be ashamed of loving this person forever going forward? Why? That makes no sense to me, you know, and in the same way with any kind of loss, you know, the loss of your mother, the loss of a brother, a sister, a friend, anyone, you know, of course you're going to love them forever. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. It, I, the phrase that just came to me is forced amnesia. What people ask yeah. of us when we, they tell us to move on is to force ourselves to have amnesia. I'm like, yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, biologically impossible. <laughs> um, it really is. To say the least. So it, it's a ridiculous request already, but it really is physically. Yeah. Biologically impossible. Well, yeah. Kelly, let us know where people can find your TED talk, your books, uh, the tribute blog that comes out every year, kind of wherever you would like to be found. Okay, thank you for that. Um, the TED talk is really easy to find if you just type, go, easiest way to find it, it's on YouTube, but the easiest way is to just go to Google and type in my name, Kelly Lynn TED talk, and it comes right up. So that's pretty easy to find. Um, it's gotten pretty popular, so it's pretty easy to find. If you just put it into Google, it comes right up right away. Um, my website is akellylynnlife.com, and there you can find upcoming events and things and my Facebook page and uh, my book information. Uh, the book is on Amazon. My husband is not a rainbow. Um, the blog is, is part of the website, so you can find the Pay It Forward um, in my blog, which is on that website. Oh, perfect. I'm so looking forward to sending people over there and getting to laugh about rainbow sightings and <laughs> everything else that occurs in your life. There's actually a slideshow on, on the website of the rainbows oh! that, that people have posted. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's great. It's the Dawn Rainbow it's almost, slideshow. It's like, where's, where's Waldo? But Right. <laughs> it is. It's meteorologically. Like, where's Dawn today? Yeah. Where's Dawn today? Oh, he's in Ohio. Oh, there he is. He's over, you know, Yankee Stadium. Or it's, it's, it's so hilarious to me. Oh, my word. Well, grief growers, keep an eye out for Dawn in your own worlds. And please email <laughs> Kelly and myself if you happen to see him yes. on your drive home today. Please do. It makes my day every time. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us here on Coming Back. This was a riot. Thank you so much. I totally appreciate it. So that's all for this episode of Coming Back. Thank you so much to Kelly Lynn for joining me to talk about reshaping life after our biggest cheerleader dies and about finding humor and love, even in the least resonant of grief cliches. Kelly came back by creating a give back day inspired by her husband's death and by giving herself permission to engage with grief support, even years after Dawn's death. You can find all of Kelly's work, including her book, My Husband is Not a Rainbow, at akellylynnlife.com. And yes, grief growers, you can find this link in the show notes for this episode. 
If you'd like to get online grief support for just $3 a month, pledge to support this podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash shelbyforsythia. You'll instantly unlock access to weekly grief guidance prompts and monthly live calls with me. Our next live grief support call is happening Monday, June 22nd at 7 p.m. Central Time. If you liked what you heard today, subscribe to Coming Back on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and tell a friend about Coming Back, because you never know what someone you love is going through. Thank you to Addie Goldstein, who composed our theme music. You can find me on Facebook at Shelby Forsythia Intuitive Grief Guide, Instagram at Shelby Forsythia, or simply shelbyforsythia.com. If you'd like to leave a question or comment for a future show, email me at shelby at shelbyforsythia.com. As always, my dear grief growers, it was beautiful sharing this space and time with you today. I see you, I'm proud of you and the work that you're doing in the world, and I love you. Because even through grief, we are growing. Thank you.